As you are seated, let me invite you to open a Bible with me to the second book, back to Exodus chapter 25, where we will be reading together here in just a few moments. Let me echo the welcome that has been extended to all of you. It is good to be with you in this place. If you are opening up your bulletin in anticipation of following along with that nice, well-prepared, colorful outline, you can, you can shut that. Uh, Lord willing, we will see that again next Sunday morning. I am pinch-hitting this morning. Roger is fine, he assures me. I think his greatest symptom right now is frustration at testing positive yesterday for COVID, but it sounds like his, uh, his symptoms are very, very mild. He asked me to pass along that all is well and he is watching from a distance. I can assure you that he would love to be here with us this morning, but it is my privilege to, to have wonderful source material from which to draw this morning, and I'd like to lean on where we have been in our daily Bible reading. Even if you haven't been reading along with us, I encourage you to have your Bible open, ready to follow along with us. We'll be in Exodus chapter 25 in just a few moments. It is no secret what comes right after the second book of the Bible. It is the third book of the Bible that many, many people throughout the ages have found challenging. And if you are following along with that schedule, if you're not, you can see on the inside of that bulletin that I I just asked you to close where we're going to be, Lord willing, throughout this weekend, you can see that we only very recently opened our Bibles to the very challenging book of Leviticus. It is perhaps one of the most foreign books of the Bible to us. You begin reading and you quickly discover that there is communication here from God. There are laws and expectations here that I'm just not even sure what to do with. What does this have to do with me? What I'd like to try and do with you this morning is just boil down that second half of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. If you're in the habit of, of writing in your Bible, you might be ready to write down four big ideas from this section of Scripture that we are taught that echo all the way to where we are even this morning, as we have just sung together, Lord, we come before Thee now. That leads us to really big lesson number one that we can go back and we can see in the second half of Exodus and all through this challenging third book of the Bible, Leviticus, What an amazing blessing it is to approach God in worship. 
What an amazing blessing it is to draw near. If there are two words that I would love for you to remember from our time together this morning, it is those two words. Draw near. And I'll show you why before we're done. But here's big lesson number one. What an amazing blessing it is. Could I remind you what all has happened in that second book of the Bible that we call Exodus? documenting the deliverance of the descendants of Abraham from Egyptian bondage after 400 years of slavery. 400 years! In Exodus chapter 3, God communicates with Moses from that burning bush. And over the course of the next several chapters, He communicates, Moses, I am sending you back to Egypt where you grew up. In fact, I am sending you into the throne room of Pharaoh himself with a message. You are to let my people go. And of course, you know from the story of the Exodus that Pharaoh is very hard-hearted, very hesitant. And so we read about ten terrible plagues that slowly chip away at Pharaoh's hardness of heart. We read about water turned to blood. We read about frogs and gnats and flies and livestock getting deathly ill. We read about boils on human skin and hail larger than anything that had been seen before. We read about locusts that devour everything and intense, thick, darkness that absolutely covers the land, all leading up to the climax of the angel of the Lord is going to pass through and any house on which there is not blood, the firstborn within that house is going to die. Finally, after 400 years, these descendants of Abraham are are liberated. They are led by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night to the brink of the Red Sea, the boundary out of Egypt. And we can read in Exodus chapter 14 how God not only miraculously parts the waters of the Red Sea, but throughout this wilderness in which He leads them, He provides. Chapter 15, bitter water made sweet. Chapter 16, bread from heaven. Chapter 17, water that flows from a rock. All the way to chapter 19 where he has led them to the base of Mount Sinai. And over the course of the next several chapters, he delivers... The Ten Commandments, the the backbone of His law, followed by a, a wide variety of laws outlining His expectations for the conduct of this people. He's willing to say, I am yours, and you are mine. 
These liberated slaves are finally able to say, I am His and He is mine. Look at what He has done to deliver us. He's promising us a land, a successful conquest of that land. He's calling us His chosen people. And then, is your Bible open there to Exodus chapter 25? I want you to begin reading with me in verse 1 where the Lord God Almighty says something extraordinary. The Lord said to Moses in verse 1, Speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and let them make me a sanctuary. I want you to take all of these precious things, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. I want to dwell in the midst of these liberated slaves. I want them to understand just how truly I am theirs and they are mine. Over the course of the next 50 chapters in the Bible, which is why God is able to say exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, you shall make it. God provides the blueprint, the construction, the services of this tabernacle, all of those details. Nothing is left to Moses' imagination. Or the speculation of the people. The Lord reveals exactly what He wants down to the most minute of details. Don't believe me? Read the second half of Exodus or Leviticus. And if there is one word that surely can be attached to what is going on here, what the Lord intends for His people to attach to what they are building, the atmosphere that is intended, the, the, the posture of hearts as they think about this, surely it is the word holy. This is special. That this is different. 
This is to be respected. Turn a page or two over in your Bible to Exodus chapter 29. And let's listen in on verse 42. Second half of verse 42 in Exodus chapter 29. Where what is being constructed is described as the tent of meeting before the Lord. Where I, he promises, will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell. The one who has made the waters of the Nile to turn into blood. The one who has summoned frogs and gnats and flies and locusts with simply a word. The word who is able to make it absolutely dark in the middle of the day. The God before whom no human being can stand in defiance. You are mine. I am yours. I want to dwell right here among you. And so let's tread into that terrifying third book of the Bible. Can you go with me to Leviticus chapter 3? And let me show you, this is not terrifying at all. In Leviticus, what is happening is God is communicating to His people, specifically to the Levites, the, the priests who are going to serve within this holy space, how to do it. What he expects, how he will be regarded as holy. In Leviticus chapter 8, he calls the brother of Moses, Aaron, who is going to be this first high priest, and his sons who will serve as priests right along with him. You read with me in Leviticus 8 and verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the baskets of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. It's been built. I want everybody to gather. And I want you to bring these men who are going to serve as priests in this sacred space. In verse 6, Moses brought Aaron and his sons. He washed them with water. He put the coat on him, tied the sash around his waist, clothed him with the robe, put the ephod on him, tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around it, binding it to him with the band. He placed the breastpiece on him. Verse 9, he set the turban on his head. On the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown. It said, holy to the Lord. If there's any word that describes what's going on here, it's holy. And it's all in accordance with the commandment of God. A bull for a sin offering. The offering for sins of these men who are going to serve. A bull is sacrificed. 
A ram is sacrificed. Another ram is sacrificed in order to ordain this man and his sons as priests. You look down at Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 33. God says, I don't want you to go outside. Aaron, your sons, I don't want you to go outside the entrance of this tent of meeting for the next seven days. I want you to think about that. You are in the desert wilderness. All of this time, all of this effort, all of the expense that has gone into constructing all of this, and finally the time has come where you're going to serve. And so all of these garments, holy, distinct, special garments are put on you. A bull is offered to atone for your sins. A ram is offered as a burnt offering to God. Another ram is offered to dedicate you to this priesthood for the rest of your life. And now God is saying, okay, everybody else is going to go back to their tent. But Aaron, you and your sons, I want you to stay right here at the entrance of this place. For the next seven days. It's going to take that long for your ordination to be completed. Verse 34, as has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged so that you do not die. I don't know about you, but if I'm Aaron and I just heard that, suddenly I feel as if the ground around me is full of exploding mines. Okay, I've, I've been with you up to this point. And now you are telling me I'm going to stay at the entrance of this tent of meeting, and I am going to learn to serve over the next seven days. To this point, it's all, it's all been theory, right? God has clearly laid it all out, and he continues to do so in Leviticus. But for the next seven days, you want me to stay here so that I don't die? God would have my attention. How about yours? Next chapter, Leviticus chapter 9. You remember those two words that I encourage you to remember? All of these sacrifices are being offered. It's all being set up. And then I want you to imagine after seven days in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 7, hearing through your brother... Okay, the Lord says, Aaron, draw near. What 
an amazing blessing it is. Big idea number one, to approach God in worship. But I, I got to tell you, after what we just read, I think big idea number two absolutely needs to be what a fearfully awesome thing it is to approach God in worship. To this point, we've tried to put ourselves in the sandals, as it were, of Aaron or his sons. What if you and I, okay, all of this has been set up. Aaron and his sons for the last seven days have been prepared to serve as holy servants in this holy place. And they have even been told, okay, after seven days, it is time to draw near. What if I or you, just ordinary descendants of Abraham out here on the outskirts of the camp, what if you and I are going to draw near? That's really what Leviticus 1 through 7 is outlining. If you, an ordinary Jew, are going to approach this holy place, you only do it. Listen to me this morning. You only do it carrying a sacrifice. Or the word that is used throughout Leviticus 1 through 7, you approach this holy place carrying an offering. And I don't know what that word conjures in your mind, but here's what I do know the word meant to these people. In the language that Moses spoke, an offering is something brought near. That's the only way I approach this, pay, this place. Or you approach this place. If we know what is good for us. And there are a variety of things that we can bring near. In Leviticus chapter 1, we read about burnt offerings. It could be a bull or a sheep or a goat or a bird. If I want to say thank you to God, if I want to praise Him, petition Him, if I want to make some sort of a vow or dedicate myself, I bring a, a burnt offering. Or Leviticus chapter 2, oftentimes with these burnt offerings were grain offerings, fine flour and oil and frankincense and salt offered with these burnt offerings or sometimes with peace offerings. Maybe my peace, my communion between myself and God has been interrupted for some reason. And so I can bring some cattle or sheep or a goat. I, I, it's a time for me to remember I am His and He is mine. And, and there's something that's interrupted that. And so I'm going to bring a, a peace offering. Or if I have transgressed, if I've, if I've overstepped the line, 
I can bring a, a sin offering, a cattle or a sheep or a goat or a bird, in order to somehow make amends in my relationship between me and God. Or maybe you and I are at odds, and I know it's my fault, and so I bring a, a sin offering. Or if it's something really serious, I bring what God refers to as a, a guilt offering. But I want you to get in your head this morning. This is not somebody comes into town, what are we going to show off that's impressive, worthwhile seeing? Well, why don't we take a stroll over toward the tabernacle and I can show you around the place. No. If you come near, you bring an offering. And there are holy priests within that complex that are serving in ways God has commanded so that they don't die as they serve. But this is holy. And I've got to imagine it would only happen time or two before you and I would both begin to realize big truth number three. It is a costly thing to approach this God in worship. If I'm out here in the desert doing everything that I can to keep myself and my family alive, and every time I draw near, I've got to bring something alive on which I depend for my life, don't you think we would learn pretty quickly? It's a costly thing to approach God in worship. Beyond those offerings, there's a barrier to you and me drawing too closely. We hear that in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 40. A lesson learned the hard way that no outsider who's not of the descendants of Aaron shall draw near to burn incense before the Lord. There's a barrier there. Literally, a, a physical barrier. I got out here Friday afternoon with a, a, a tape measure and I did a little bit of measuring from the floor to the top of this stair and from the bottom of those stairs to the top of it. This is about seven and a half feet tall. See, I've got a head start and I would still have a barrier. Seven and a half feet barrier all the way around this complex. I'd have to get... Lucas may be on high ground to tell me what in the world is going on over here because there's no way I could even see inside of it other than a 30-foot entrance. I used my tape measure and pretty much from this corner all the way over to that corner, about 30 feet. At the front of this tabernacle, there's a 30-foot-long screen. Anybody can come in, but as you do, you come through a screen, this colorful 
screen. And if you draw near through that screen, you know the first thing, really the only thing that is anywhere near you is this giant altar. Seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet tall. That's as far as you come. Maybe in the distance you can see the place where the priests wash themselves in order to serve in a right way so that they don't die. But you don't go over. That's not water for your use or consumption. You come to this place of sacrifice and that's as far as you go. You bring your offering. Now before we're done, I want you to open your Bible with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Three really big lessons that come through, hopefully loud and clear, from Exodus and Leviticus. What an amazing blessing it is, number one, to approach God in worship. Number two, what a fearfully awesome thing it is to approach God in worship. Number three, how costly it is to approach God in worship. Why have we spent good valuable time on Sunday morning talking about something so strange from so long ago. Because of big truth number four. There is nothing amazing about grace. If there isn't anything serious about sin, or fearful about holiness. Why do people in 2022 have such a cheap view of grace? I'd suggest to you here's the reason. Because there's nothing amazing about grace if there isn't anything serious about sin. And if there isn't anything fearful about holiness, what's so amazing about grace? But if books of the Bible like Exodus and Leviticus awaken within us a little glimmer of how fearful this holiness was and how serious Sin was that when I sinned, I would bring a living animal to that altar and I would put my hands on the head of that animal as that priest would slit its throat and its blood would pour on the sand and splatter on the altar and splatter on my feet and splatter on these holy garments of this priest. And as I have my hands on the head of that animal, animal that's dying because of what I did, suddenly now, sin seems a little more serious, a little more costly. And of all the New Testament books of the Bible, it's this book where you have your Bible open. I want you to notice Hebrews chapter 7 
and verse 19 that speaks to us in light of everything we've talked about. Hebrews 7 and verse 19. On the other hand, a better hope is introduced. And I want you to listen carefully this morning. Here's our two words. Through which we draw near to God. Over the course of the next few verses, it's clear that the writer is drawing our attention to Jesus. And so in verse 25, he says, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near. I want you to think about the power of what is being described here. Priests in the Old Testament, they were told to draw near. You and I, we can't draw near. We can bring an offering near, but we dare not draw near without a sacrifice that we bring near to that altar. You have that in your mind. And now you hear what this writer carried along by the Holy Spirit is telling us. We can draw near to the one who didn't have to bring a sacrifice for his sins. To the one who didn't have to stop and wash his hands or his feet or his heart. The one who lives Today, He lives to make intercession for sinners. Verse 26, it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest. We need somebody holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sins, exalted above the heavens because we can't draw near. But this high priest, he doesn't have a need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered a sacrifice, he offered himself. And so in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, all of that stuff that we talked about, that's a shadow of good things to come. It's not the true form of those realities. That's not what we go back and we build. That can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. No, we needed something. We needed someone else. And so here is the Lord offering an invitation to you and you and you and everyone who will ever read Hebrews chapter 10. Are you ready? Here it is. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Well, what about my 
hearts, it can be made true in full assurance of faith. What about all of the evil that I've done? My heart can be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. My body can be washed with pure water. There is no obstacle other than my willingness to draw near. He makes it clear in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Listen, we've got a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let's hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let's, with confidence, draw near. Not in this room, to the throne of grace. So let me ask you this morning. What is it that you are allowing to serve as a buffer between you and your holy God? What is it that stands as a, a, a kink in the hose of blessings between you and your Creator? Because what he is extending to you is clear. Grace. Mercy. Do you have need this morning? Are you in need of grace and mercy? Do you come in this room this morning weak, troubled, Weighed down by sin. The reason in the heart of our assembly we reflected on the body and the blood of Jesus is because this is the way, the only way by which you and I can draw near. And so maybe all that you can muster this morning is I believe. And beyond that, I'm a mess. God can work with that. Same author. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But whoever, whoever, is determined to draw near to Him, do you believe these truths? Do you believe that He rewards those who diligently seek Him? We're going to stand in just a moment and we're going to sing, Do you know my Jesus? This is the Jesus we're talking about. And maybe all that you can muster is, I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He did this for me. And I don't know how anything good can come from the mess that I've left behind me. You believe that He's the Son of God. You're willing to turn your back on that mess of your own making. You're willing to be united with Jesus in His death, His burial, His resurrection, by being baptized in His name that this precious blood might wash you from your sins. God can work with that this morning.
as we stand and sing this song, I want you to think about what an awesome thing it is to draw near. As we've sung together today, we've drawn near. As we've observed today, as we've prayed today, we've drawn near in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we stand and sing this song, it is your opportunity, just as you are, to draw near to the God that loves you this much. If we can be of any help, any encouragement, would you let us know how by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?